of our session. Uh, first, a little bit about next week's session. Our topic next week will be medical marijuana. What are the benefits to users and how can they be affected by legalization of cannabis in Canada? Our speaker is Dr. Ife Abiola. He works in Calgary and Lethbridge clinics that focus on the use of cannabis in medicine. Now, uh, Lance has brought his uh, uh, electromagnetic radiation meter, and he would uh, be interested in demonstrating that a bit uh, after the question and answer session, and he's willing to stay after. So anyone that's interested in getting into the really big details of the thing, let's stick around. Uh, Okay, so today we've heard that our wireless devices may not be sufficiently regulated with respect to all the ways they might harm us. Our speaker is Lance Chong. His topic, does wireless radiation affect our health? How much do we really know? So please come back to the podium, Lance, in anticipation of uh, some thought-provoking questions. Questioners, please come to the microphone. Remember to state your name. Keep your comments brief and your questions succinct and just one or two in number at any one time. And if there's anybody from the big buying theory out there, remember, keep your questions short. I think you're going to drink. Hi, Lance. My name is Henning Mundell. Um, by the way, I first experienced the demonstration of uh, microwaves in high school on the stage where the microwaves were shot across and then we saw an egg being fried there. And that was in about 1957. My question to you relates to... Um, you gave the wavelength, the 2.54, and the issue in relation to the wavelength, but is there literature that relates to duration and intensity or distance from the device in relation to different diseases? Well, thank you for the wonderful question. That's exactly right on. And uh, so that's the question I would have as well, <laughs> uh, trying to find out myself. And uh, so, for example, this FCC standard was uh, try to address that kind of issue. Uh, let me bring up, actually, safety code 6. Let's see where it is. Okay. So they were trying to follow through, uh, follow, follow suit from the U.S. preset standards using specific absorption rate limits, SAR. In terms of watts per kilogram of tissue to measure the safety level and to see if any disease or etc. can be caused by that. Um, that was a standard from a long time ago, from at least 1970s on, 80s, etc. Um, the conclusion was recommended by something called power density because power density you can measure easily 
But watts per kilogram, it's really, really hard to calculate, right? Are you supposed to cut off body parts and measure the weight, right? And then test what kind of volumetric absorption of the wave? It's impossible, right? I would think this is almost impossible to do. So this is more intuitive, is at a certain spot, the density, the amount of energy getting absorbed by per square either meter or per square centimeter, etc. And that is actually how the antenna will work, and the meter can read that. And also, it's right to the point of different parts of the tissue, right, might get affected. That's most important. It's not the average whole volume, whole body, right? If, so let's say, somebody worrying about uh, getting brain cancer when holding, micro, uh, holding a cell phone for too long, that one spot getting cancer is already enough. You don't need the body average, right? For by that, this kind of notion to me is really counterintuitive. And uh, this is slightly more useful. But this reading is, to my understanding, probably way too high set. So the 2.45 watts per square meter, which is converting to 0 0.4542 uh, uh, milliwatts per square centimeter, that is equal to 542 microwatts per centimeter. And usually, if you read your Wi-Fi router at home, at a very close range, your Wi-Fi router probably will be emitting anywhere from 10 to 5 microwatts. And this has got 500. Right, so it's like 50 times more than our Wi-Fi. So this is set way too high. And uh, for anything useful for our test at all, basically everybody is safe, according to this sender. Yeah. Right, it's way below. Oh. oh. Okay. Does that answer your question? Uh, In part. In part, yes. Thank you. So the real answer is I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Thanks, Lance, uh, for your presentation. Mary Shillington. Um, I have a real concern about cell phones and where people carry them. I don't carry mine anywhere on my body anymore. It's uh, unless I have it in my hand taking it someplace. Uh, but you see uh, people going around with it in their back pockets or their shirt pockets or some women whip them out of their bras. And so, you know, what, what should we be saying to our young people uh, about the risks of that and so on? Or what would your suggestion be? Well, thanks for another brilliant question. It's, that's something, uh, indeed, I think related to, number one, communication. Number two is how we reason with complicated matter that have many factors uh, involved in you know, uh, balancing the reasoning. And our young people usually are short attention span and uh, short-tempered. And uh, maybe the best way to get them to listen to is to have them curious about a technology and really starting to study it. And when they're starting to see, for example, uh, let's say the imagery. Oh, hold on. I have another one at the back. Sorry. Sorry. 
this one. You have an actual, this is a simulation. We cannot measure inside the brain, right? This is just computer simulation. It shows from the point of contact of the cell phone to inside the skull, to the far right, that's grown up, and to the left, that's a five-year-old child. The younger they are, the more, more water they have in their tissue, and the, the more power they will absorb. And also consider their uh, organs are usually uh, smaller in size as well. So the percentage of coverage and get impact is way more. So maybe these kind of information, more visual, can get them attention, get them curious about the nature of the thing that is beyond our five senses, which is a technology at this point, if that makes sense. Thank you for a good presentation. Uh, you have puzzled me, thrown me right out of what I knew so far about radiation with what your presentation. Cosmo. Uh, my name is Cosmos Butsinos. I'm an engineer. Um, the human tissue can absorb radiation in many different ways. At the low frequency, it will absorb heat. At the higher frequency, it will break the DNA. So we don't talk about the high frequency right now because we're talking about the, uh, the low frequency, the heat. My experience, and I used to work in the 60s with Lankert Electric in Vancouver that were making the microwave towers. And the way I have understood uh, the microwaves are several kinds of microwaves. It's not just one kind. We have the simple oscillation. We have the synthetic oscillation with two waves going together. And we have the third oscillation that is between the envelope there is a small microwave that goes in there that has the high frequency and has that's the dangerous part. And that's the one that causes the heating. So um, the microwave oven has different kind of radiation than the telephone. So how can we differentiate on that before we start getting the public alarmed about damaging radiation? Because if we have a simple radiation, the frequency is low, it has no ability to break the DNA molecule, consequently it cannot cause cancer because it cannot form mutations. So how do you differentiate between, I mean, soon we be discussing the different types of microwave radiation that exist? And what, how can you explain my, I'm puzzled really, I don't even know what, what's my question. <laughs> this, he doesn't know the questions, yeah. and he doesn't know the answers. I think that question uh, is also what I have right now. And that is another unknown factor, which is that the industry needs definitely a very clear explanation to the user of their products right now. And uh, so there are many, many factors, uh, which is uh, really unknown. And you can actually put in signals into the microwave to transmit and the lower wave, how low there will be? Are you going to reach the EEG level, right? And that's going to be directly affecting your brain and nerve system, right? Technically, you can do that. They have actually Google patents, right? Filing just for that. They can use a computer monitor to, quote, unquote, uh, manipulate people's uh, nerve system. That's a patent been issued in 2015. Um, so things like that, and uh, which is we really need to have 
clear knowledge as consumers, right? At a time we use the technology, we don't know about the hazard, potential hazard of this. That's not really uh, a responsible thing for the industry to do. Um, on the other hand, uh, this is my personal interpretation. It could be wrong, um, but I'd like to put it out just for everybody's, uh, you know, uh, food of thought. If you only consider about thermal, well, yeah, not enough to causing any immediate damage yet, but guarantee it's breaking down some part of the brain, uh, uh, the cells, right? And then your body is going to be rushing in to heal the wound. Could be tiny, right? It could be long-term. And this will be day in, day out. You live with your Wi-Fi router, with your cell phone every day. And usually when the tissue repeatedly getting fixed, the DNA getting duplicated, right? Over time, the chance of getting cancer is much higher, Right? So it could be that is another possibility of those tumors is becoming more frequent. So it's not just about uh, the ionizing radiation causing uh, cancerous effects. It's about the repeating damage, just like you're cutting the same wound again and again, 100 times. Right. Something oh. will go wrong with that wound. Okay. Yeah. Tough question, tough answer. Uh, could we have an, the next one, please? It's uh, <clears throat> Trevor Page. Lawrence, I'm very glad to see you at that microphone instead of this one. <laughs> and very Thank good you, Trevor. To, very good that SACP uh, has actually given you an opportunity to talk about what is a very important and disturbing subject that you raise. I think your presentation raises more questions than answers, as you've said yourself. But I wonder if you could bring up that slide with the Harvard University letterhead there and tell us about something about safety standards. I mean, I'm quite disturbed that what you had to say about my microwave, as far as I know, I'm 60 to 70% water, and if that water microwave is cooking me, I don't want that to happen. But what are the safety standards that Harvard is saying? And I, I see from the SAGPA flyer, the part of your responsibilities, although this is not your subject, is to um, the, a methodology to the improvement of social responsibility and sustainability in an age of technology, technological advancements. So what are the safety standards? What is the government doing? I mean, its basic responsibility is to protect its citizens. So what are the Americans doing and what are the Canadians doing to protect us from our cell phone, radiation, and uh, microwaves, etc.? Thank you. Thank you for another wonderful question, uh, Trevor. Um, so first, I'd like to just say a little bit about the uh, Hover letter to the students. I think they're basically quoting the FCC safety limit. And they're not making this up themselves. And this is the safety limit from FCC, which is this circle points at most of the 2G, uh, the, let's say the 2.45 gig fall right into this. And the limit is set to be one milliwatt per square centimeter. 
That's for an FCC. And uh, that kind of standard, if you want to hear my opinion regarding safety, I would say the real question is how certain the government should be for their own knowledge or own points of view, their own opinion, to, in order to assert that opinion onto everyday people. Right, so what is the duty of a government? Do they get to micromanage everybody's daily life? How much pepper and salt you should be putting into your food? Right, the same. Or the limit. Or if they mandate any kind of wireless device to be put into our home. Right, and uh, for example, right now, I was in China this summer, just passing summer. If you don't have a cell phone, you're going to have no chance to use one of the very nice features in Beijing, which is a little bit too much in the summer, which is the sheer bicycle. Right? You need your wireless, you need your cell phone to scan the barcode, uh, to access your bank accounts, to make the little payment, etc., and then in order to write. They give you two hours for free. That's just wonderful. But if you don't have a cell phone, sorry, you cannot use it. And the shared bike, lock, unlock, get tracked by wireless technology. That, by basically the utilitarian part, is limiting you know, what we can do or not do. Right? So by giving only one choice, which is potentially hazardous, so maybe those are the things the government should consider. Should they consider people have other opinions, have other standards, concerns about the safety limit? They are so sure. And uh, what if the standard will need to change tomorrow, which happened again and again, right? So since 1920s, we have, let's say, leaded gasoline. That lasted for 50 years until a scientist uh, from Caltech, based from his research, discover the safety level of lead in our environment is too high. And the root of that is our gasoline, was our gasoline, right? And then he basically single-handedly pushed forward to gather government eventually eliminate uh, lead from gasoline. The same with tobacco. And maybe this is just another case, which is my conclusion later, which I probably it's a good time to bring up. And when is going to be the end? We've seen this kind of cases again and again and again, right? hundred years ago, they sell heroin and cocaine off the, sh- off the shelf from drug stores. Right, they even have baby uh, painkiller, tooth. Uh, uh, what is that? Uh, in for killing tooth uh, pain, right? Which is uh, have morphine in it. So our standards are evolving, and we know more and more. But throughout time, so maybe government should not be that quote unquote confident with what they have uh, knowledge about that, at the time. That seems a good place to go on to the next question. We are running a bit short on time. Thank you, Lance. My name is Larry Alford. Can you turn to the slide in your thinking map which showed the environment and the waves um, with a backdrop of, of mountains and clouds and sky? 
My question might be a little bit ridiculous, but I did grow up with my toothpaste coming in a lead tube, so I, I can be excused. <clears throat> if, if microwave radiation... Right there, yes. If the uh, moisture in the atmosphere is at the altitudes there above ground, um, is it possible if microwave radiation uh, affects moisture... Is it even possible that uh, some of atmospheric warming can be attributed to one or two or ten billion dollar microwave, t not dollar, but quantity of microwave emitting things? Thank you. I appreciate your tenacity on this topic too, by the way. Thank you. Sure. Thank you very much, Larry. And I think, I think this is indeed a very billion question you put, to, uh, put out. And uh, as a matter of fact, according to uh, science literature, uh, water wafer is indeed a uh, greenhouse gas. And when they absorb energies coming out of our devices, I assume those energies actually contributed into what the warming up of our atmosphere. So that's uh, my logic. So. Beth Mundell-Atherstone. Thank you very much, Lance. Uh, when you were talking um, two questions ago, about lead and the Vaseline and the different things that are happening, it brings to mind the bigger, bigger questions that your, your talk relates to. And that is that it seems like it, the onus is always put on us, the consumer, to have to prove that something is harming us instead of the onus being put on the manufacturer and the new product that is being brought into the market, such as when microwaves are brought into the market, to prove beyond any reasonable doubt that this is not going to harm us. So it seems to me we always have the cart before the horse. We have it backwards. So that's just a comment. Now I'd like to know what is the reference for your slide where you show the difference between the brains of the five-year-old child, 10-year-old child, and the adult. Um, could you tell us what study that was? Because that seems to be very um, critical evidence of absorption of microwaves. OK. Uh, let me see. Right here. So credit is Dr. Om Gandhi. So from his research. And what university? And uh, so it's right here. So what I know is right here. And what year? And that I need to find out. Sorry? That I need to find out. Okay. Because it seems to me that, um, and Henny and I were discussing about this, that um, this, this is actually some hard evidence that uh, you have presented to us and uh, very interesting and something to think about in terms of our children's use of um, microwave instruments. Thanks. Well, uh, so thanks again for the uh, brilliant question. I would say something about hard evidence. That is a word I like to question as well. Because right here, it looks to me it's a computer simulation. And computer simulation is not necessary to be reality but it actually reflects our understanding of likely the children's brain will be affected more uh, than adults' brain. Right? So this is something I uh, emphasize again and again in my new media classes at the university there. Tell the students, what do you see there? 
does not mean it's real. Right? It's coming from the projector. It's a computer simulation. It's put together the pixels. The truth is out there for we to discover. If we single-handedly believe one thing, one picture put in front of us, then we're locked into this one channel of reality and forgetting it's only probably a signal pointing to the truth that is way deeper and way more complicated. Yeah, Terry Terry Shellington. Thank you, Lance, for your presentation. Words like tenacity and uh, humility come to mind about all this. We're wandering in in an area where there's not much hard evidence, as you say. Um, my question is around safety standards uh, in different countries, and I'm wondering, have you had a chance to compare the rigorous rigor of um, safety standards in other countries compared to Canada's? Uh, I do have a report uh, I did bring with me uh, regarding that, and uh, that is not part of my uh, focus, actually. Uh, because I'm trying right now, trying to understand more about the nature of this issue first. And uh, according to um, other people's information given to me, and there are European countries as well as Asian countries, safety standard we set way below uh, the U.S. and Canadian level. So that's what I can say. And there are information online, and there are YouTube videos, and there's even a movie uh, called Take Back Your Power, which from uh, several years back, uh, having information just regarding that. So I think those are more reliable in, uh, source of information than what I have. We have time for one more question. Hello. My, <coughs> my name is uh, Knut Peterson. <coughs> Thanks for coming, Lance. Uh, I met you first time when... Uh, you were concerned about smart meters and lap beats. And uh, probably credit to you, uh, at least partly credit to you, I think, that the microwave signals that were supposed to be emitting from these smart meters every 10 seconds or whatever back to a central station is now not doing that. It's actually uh, someone is driving by in the middle of the night reading your meters. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, uh, <laughs> thanks, Knut, for that uh, question. Actually, uh, that was only rumor. And uh, so I cannot cite that, uh, you know, say, you know, I really know this information for sure. I would call the city uh, hall to find out if that is true. And uh, according to a friend of mine, who t- uh, told me this, actually. And uh, if this is really happening, I would give the city uh, government a lot of credit for taking caution uh, in this technology, which we don't have full understanding uh, at the moment. Uh, so which I trust probably this is true, right? So anyway, um, can that be the answer? And thanks for the uh, compliment and uh I'm not the only person uh, you, raising awareness about the microwave issue for the you, smart meter thing. You have checked them. You have checked your meter with with this meter. Yes. So I did check with my uh, RF measuring unit uh, device for the electricity meter on my house, and several times uh, in the past, I would say half a year since I bought it, and I never 
read out anything from my meter. So it could be the chances every time I read, the meter is not emitting signal, or the chance is the city actually shut it down and wait until late at night. They drive around to take everybody's readings. Uh, is there? We've had our questions now, Lance, and uh, I'm wondering if there's one key thought or action you would like uh, the audience to uh, take home with them. Thank you very much, uh, Duane. Um, here is some information about how the measuring was done. It's way impossible to simulate the reality we actually live in by technology. And trusting the technology is always need to be having question mark on it, in my personal opinion. That brings to the joke Mr. Albert Einstein put out to remind us we're always facing difficult choices and questions. But maybe there's a more optimism kind of statement I would like to quote from Mr. Tesla again. Our virtue and our failings are inseparable, like force and matter. When they separate, man is no more. So this is, I would say, an open-minded attitude for us to try and explore and not to worry about failing, but make sure we're responsible enough to learn from our mistakes, and including possible mistakes I made in today's presentation. So thank you very much. Thanks very much, Lance. And uh, remember that he's promised to stay here for a while. If you have some more in-depth questions or questions on the meter, please come forward. Thank you.